0: This morning's reading is from 1 Kings 12, verse 1 to 24, and it's on page 346 of your Pew Bibles. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabal, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today... You will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer. They will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us. The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly. Rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out to Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and eighty thousand able young men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, This is what the Lord says, Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again, as the Lord had ordered.
1: Well, thanks, Sean. Um, We come to today's passage pretty well placed to think through the implications of a handover of power. I know it's a couple of seasons ago now, but earlier this year, federally and uh, at a state level, uh, we've just had a round of elections and by-elections, And whoever you voted for, I hope you were really thankful for the peaceful transition of power we have uh, here in Australia. Uh, Many nations around the world today can only dream uh, of such peace, where a guy we know as ScoMo graciously admits defeat and steps back and hands over the reins to a guy we call Albo, uh, who thanks ScoMo, who hands over the reins of the Liberal Party, uh, again peacefully to Peter Dutton who obviously hasn't settled in too well to the role yet because we're not calling him Dado. <laughs> <laughs> but we used to take uh, such peaceful transitions of power for granted in the West, uh, but increasingly it's no longer quite such a given as shown in the USA with the deadly storming of the Capitol building by some pretty well-armed protesters whipped into a frenzy by Donald Trump as he handed over to Joe Biden. And with a lot less at stake, we've also been watching another much slower transition of power as uh, many of us have celebrated the Queen's 70th Jubilee year this year. With many openly asking whether or not the royal family will survive the transition from Queen Elizabeth to Prince Charles, Or with declining power, will this royal family fold in the coming years, as so many royal families have over recent decades uh, in countries across the world, sometimes peacefully and sometimes with bloodshed? I think all people everywhere care who rules over them, because it affects the way we live, because those in power shape so much of our lives. So 100 days in, like how's the new government going? How are they dealing with the rising cost of living? Are they really going to go through with their pledge to uh, give the tax cuts the the Liberals uh, had in place? Uh, Many of us assumed they would say that and then go back on it as soon as they were in power. How's the health system going? How's Penny Wong and the government dealing with China in the South Pacific? As we think of uh, leaders in society around the world, in politics and in business... We're repulsed by leaders who use power for their own glory yet we're drawn to those who risk losing it for the sake of others to make a meaningful and lasting difference for those with little power. Just considering these things for a moment helps us to kind of transport ourselves back to the tension in the air after Solomon's death as people waited to see how Rehoboam would wield power. And as we dive into the story, there's much that we can learn for living wisely in our own days. And my hope is that we can enlarge and uh, appreciate all the more our own King Jesus, uh, for those of us here who consider ourselves Christians, and how he uses power. And if you're here today checking out who Jesus is, welcome. We're so glad you're here, particularly Father's Day. It's nice to sometimes uh, have children along with uh, dads who are usually... Uh, part of our congregation here, or it's great to have dads along who are fathers, who are part, uh, whose families are part of our church family here. It's great to have you with us. And each and every week we consider it a blessing to have people with us who are thinking through who Jesus is for the first time. So my hope is today for you that you might understand some new things about how God has worked through history and new things about Jesus and be drawn towards him wanting to find out more. So we're heading into a new section of One Kings together and with some notable exceptions to the rule, the general trajectory now is downwards from Solomon uh, and into the generations recorded in two kings. And as the coming king's good use of power decreases, God raises up increasingly wise prophets to hold them to account and to declare to the people that faithful living for God is still possible amongst the chaos. And against this backdrop, with the whole country kind of waiting to see what kind of ruler Rehoboam is, and so much depends of it, we read in verse 1 that the whole country, I assume representatively, heads to Shechem for the coronation of Rehoboam as king. And as Jeroboam, living in Egypt due to fear of Solomon, hears of this, he returns and he's sent for by the people who still hold him in some esteem. And together they go to Rehoboam and ask him, verse 4, your father has put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam says, well, I'll think about it, (laughs) come back in uh, three days. So can you kind of imagine the tension in the air as so many from Israel were camping out under the stars awaiting for the answer to this question? Will Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, who we see in the book of Proverbs where uh, so much of Solomon's wisdom was recorded, quite literally as a father teaching his son, Solomon to Rehoboam, uh, he taught him a lot, particularly in his younger years, about what it means to live and rule with the wisdom of God. So will he follow the wisdom of God, knowing Proverbs 8, which is uh, up on screen for us, thanks, Eliza? By me, kings and rulers issue decrees that are just. This is God speaking. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. So will he embody the wisdom he kind of grew up with and probably the most privileged position of a father teaching his son wisdom? uh, Or Proverbs uh, 11 verse 17, also up on screen. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Will he follow this wise advice of the example of his father in his early years Or will he take up the much more recent example of the latter years, using uh, his power to lay a heavy yoke on the people for his own riches and glory? Rehoboam consults the elders who had served under Solomon and asks them what they'll do. And in verse uh, 7 of today's uh, reading, if you look at it in your Bibles, they replied, if today you will be a servant uh, to these people and serve them, And give them a favourable answer. These are the elders speaking to Rehoboam, sorry I should have said. They will always be your servants. Which sounds like pretty wise advice. These elders knew something that has remained true in God's wisdom. That to lead is to serve for the sake of others. Whereas the younger men who had rolled with Rehoboam for many years effectively said, let's turn up the heat on how much we expect from the people and strike into their hearts so when the three days are up and the people come before Rehoboam who we read in verse 13 answers the people harshly rejecting the elders advice and following the script of the young men as he says my father made your yoke heavy I will make it even heavier my father scourged you with whips I will scourge you with scorpions there's kind of the soundbite to define Rehoboam's rule. You can imagine it lighting up social media uh, across the country. And as the punch country ponders whether it will sit under Rehoboam's rule, you can imagine the sort of the pushback from the people, the, the red flute signs on every second tree with an unflattering black and white painting of Rehoboam with a double chin holding a whip in one hand and a scorpion in the other... With the Liberal Party tagline, life won't be ho hum under Rehabo hum. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ross. <laughs> it's a hard one to rhyme, let's face it, I had to think about that for a long time.
0: <laughs> uh, dear.
1: But I, I think that kind of captures the vibe uh, of the country. Uh, The people declare their dissatisfaction with the hereditary line of David and their desire to depart from it, saying to the king, verse 16, what share do we have with you? Like, what share do we have here in David? What part in Jesse's son? This is this royal line they're referring to. To your tents, Israel, look to your own house, David. It's basically saying, we're off, you look after yourselves. And they head home. And for those in Judah and Benjamin, alongside it, where the king ruled—that's King uh, Rehoboam—they uh, sort of lived under his rule. But as he looks kind of north to the ten tribes that had just, you know, kind of given him the finger and told him to go stuff himself, he rolls out uh, his strongman. Uh, Ad- oh, Try and say this right. Adonari- I did practice this. Adonari- uh <laughs> Adonirith. I call it COVID brain. (laughs) The guy starting with A in verse 18. (laughs) He rolls out his strongman to subdue the 10 northern tribes. His hard man is killed and the king only escapes back to Jerusalem with some pretty epic chariot driving. And then the 10 northern tribes, now referred to as Israel, remain in rebellion to Rehoboam, uh, now ruling in the south, known as Judah. So the kingdom is divided. So uh, Israel in the north makes Jeroboam king and Rehoboam returns to the south and starts gathering an army of 180,000 to go to war. In the context of kind of population at the time, that's a huge army. But then the most unexpected thing happens. A prophet, a man of God, Shemaiah, arises and God says to him, Verse 23, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, the king of Judah, say to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites, go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. And to all our surprise, Rehoboam and all the people listen and everyone goes home. Further bloodshed is averted. Now, if you've read a bit of the Old Testament or just an observer of human nature, you have to think, what could possibly have convinced the people, as Shemaiah speaks God's words into the situation to the people of Judah, to kind of step down from that war footing and go home? I suspect it's those last five words there, being declared by the prophet as God's words, as God says, this split is my doing. God is saying this whole rebellion of the ten northern tribes, I did that. I'm in control. This is my doing. Now it must have rocked their world that the country splitting into the nation that God chose to bear his name who he revealed himself to who he'd made a covenant with who he'd sort of promised would be the vehicle of great blessing for the whole world was split in two by a rebellion. And for us to hear, it shouldn't be as much of a surprise to us who's been reading along, that the sovereign God did it. We uh, heard in verse 15, uh, words to this effect a little earlier. So the king did not listen to, the, this is earlier on, did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nabat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. Ahijah, our robe-tearing prophet from last week that I included in the intro, all of this taking place because God is tearing away ten tribes from Solomon's line of hereditary rule. What appears to be utter chaos in the kingdom of God, bitterly tearing the nation in two, is God's work. God remains totally in control. There's much there for us to ponder but before we do, let's have a brief look at the reign of Jeroboam. We didn't read this, so have your Bibles uh, open there. Now, remember God spoke to him uh, back in chapter 11. I'll pop this one uh, up on the screen just to remind you. Uh, as Ahijah came to Jeroboam, he said, "'If you do whatever I command you,' this, I'm speaking on God's behalf, "'and walk in obedience to me, and do what is right in my eyes "'by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did,' I will be with you. Bear in mind, that God's saying this to a, not the hereditary line, uh, one of the servants of the kingdom. God is saying, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. So, hopefully, it's becoming pretty clear in your reading of 1 Kings and in today's passage that the role of the king is to walk in obedience to God, doing right in his eyes. So the question is, what does Jeroboam do? Well, have a look from verse 25 on. After uh, fortifying a few things and working out where he will live, verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David, verse 26. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem... They will again give their allegiance to the Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Jeroboam. That's, we hear the inner workings of Jeroboam. And to our horror, we read that he makes two golden calves and says to the ten northern tribes, here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. What is disguised as a sympathetic concern for people having to walk uh, too far to worship God, we read, is simply a political manoeuvre. Jeroboam, like many after him, will profess faithfulness to God simply because he finds God useful to his own ends. Things decline further as Jeroboam simply makes up a religious system. He re-establishes shrines to other gods in the high places around the country. He pretty much goes willy-nilly appointing anyone to be a priest, writing up a new religious calendar of festivals to make the people feel like they're not missing out on what's going on in Judah. And so they offer sacrifices to golden calves. As you read how this chapter closes, it's about the months Jeroboam chooses, the altars he makes, his festivals run by the guys he's put in place. He completely rejects God's revealed will about the place, time and people required to sacrifice and worship him. Politics triumphs. God's will is completely ignored. Now if you've been with us through the series, you've probably got the vibe that the Kings and our stories have many shortcomings... And uh, they point us to the need for a greater king, which, sitting in our position, we know God brought that greater king in Jesus. But there's so many facets we can explore about why that is the case. So many angles which we can use this as a launching pad to appreciate new things about Jesus. I think the most obvious from today's passage is that as Jesus strode this earth... He actually started a revolution when it comes to wielding power. It rocked the foundation of our world, as he said, in Mark chapter 10, which is also uh, up on screen there. Thanks, Eliza. Mark chapter 10, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now I suspect today this might not seem as radical as it first did, such as Jesus' influence been over many years, particularly in the West, since he first said this. Yet I'd put it to you that as Jesus' influence in public life recedes and as we see around the world, the powerful once again using their resources increasingly to benefit the powerful rather than the weak, whether it's a strongman dictator in Russia, the schoolyard bully, American or Australian political parties or corporate giants, Jesus once again in his words and approach to life I think will become more radical. And are we as his church willing to be risk whatever power we have, not for our own sake or self-protection, but to risk it all for the sake of others? To proclaim to our world that there really is only one hope that lies in a day yet to come, where all glory, honour and power Are in the hands of Jesus as the one who serves. What a humble act that Jesus, with all the power of the Creator God to raise the dead who could have called on an army of angels in his time of need, allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to serve us, dying for our sins so that we could be purchased for God. What a servant. What a wonderful saviour who redefines what greatness is in his kingdom. As those who use their power, large or small, to serve others. As we think of what lessons we have to learn from our three kings, Jesus shows us what Rehoboam missed. Servant leadership. The elders laid it out there before him, conveying God's wisdom. As the elders told him, if today you'll be a servant of these people and serve them and give them a favourable answer, they will always be your servants. There's much more to ponder from our story of Rehoboam. There's a tension in this story that kind of remains across the whole Bible. How is it that Rehoboam freely makes dumb decisions and is held responsible for them, yet at the same time God's revealed will is done? That God uses such decisions to tear 10 tribes from him as planned. As the Apostle Peter preaches many years later at Pentecost, such a tension is in play that the Jews and Romans are held very clearly responsible for Jesus' unjust trial and execution. Yet at the same time, God is executing the defined plan, the one that's always existed in the foreknowledge of God. The absolute sovereignty of God's power amidst chaos should be a great comfort for the believer. As we consider our own lives and the time in which we live, we can trust in God's promises to build his church and to work all things, even the deepest trials for the good of those who love our God, who sent his son to serve us. As I pondered Jeroboam this week, he seems emblematic of leaders across time who will seek to claim allegiance to God, not because they love him, but because they deem him useful for their own ends. Some in politics today, even in a country like Australia, still deem it useful to seek to win the so-called conservative vote, as much as I don't really love that term, by appealing to God. Yet we want to be discerning, is this person doing so because they love God or is it simply that they find him useful in trying to gain more power? Consider too the church leader's heart. Are they driven by serving our King Jesus who came to serve or are they desiring power? It's a huge issue in the church today. And as a church network, we have a great gospel ambition to see many come to know the life and eternity changing good news about Jesus, who laid down his life to purchase people for God. But almost imperceptibly, it's easy for that to morph into a quest for building our own kingdom, our own regard as a network or the leaders within it, and our own influence. We must, must, must be a people who are attentive to the heart, who cultivate a heart that loves Jesus, that follow him in serving others, and we should expect to see in one another and in our leaders humble servants shepherding the flock, not powerful leaders. In an age where false teaching is just a podcast away, watch your own hearts too looking out for the Jeroboam's who offer us an easy religion, who ask little of you other than your devotion so that they can have the podcast, the books, the esteem, the life or luxury and ease, while selling you a religion that costs you little, fooling you into thinking that the self-centred life is okay and that by following them that you really are on about the things of God. And from our third King Jesus, what can we take from it today? What can we appreciate appreciate about him for the first time or be refreshed in? For me, as I've reflected on the heavy yoke Rehoboam placed on his people, causing this whole mess, it brought Jesus' words to mind. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, as he uses his limitless power to serve us, lifts us from the burden of sin and from the weariness of living in the shadow of death. Now, don't get me wrong, he doesn't offer us a life of ease, But being his is easy. He's paid the price for us and he's given us a place in his family forever. If you're considering Jesus for the first time, he calls you to come to him. He's gentle, he's humble in heart and he can offer rest for your souls. Jesus is a great king to live for. And I think for us all to consider as we live in a time where Christianity is kind of increasingly becoming on the nose in public life, how are we going to respond to that? To me, I find it quite concerning that some Christians are rallying other Christians to kind of fight for power, to fight for our rights to share the gospel. I suspect, all in the name of kind of getting a hearing, for the good news of Jesus? I suspect we would get a much larger hearing for the good news of Jesus if even under fire, we're the people that use the resources and the power given for us to serve people, to be the kind of leaders in the workplace who serve their teams. (laughs) If you're working on a team, working under a boss, to be the people who are servant-hearted, As you look around your neighbours and friends, you'd be the people looking out for who's struggling at the moment, dropping meals across, loving people, serving them. Instead of Christians fighting for power, I would want to encourage you to follow our humble servant, Jesus, and use whatever power we have to serve him. I think that's the way forward in finding a genuine gospel hearing in our world today of this life and eternity changing good news of Jesus. As we consider our church life here at Kernelite Gardens, it's so encouraging to see so many giving of their time, their finances, their gifts and their heart as we kind of rebuild again after planting Tonsley, which has been going great, and by the way, it would be worth popping in sometime this year. But as we continue on and the sort of excitement of planning a new church and coming together, bringing two services together and getting to know new people fades, don't fall into the trap of slowly letting your Christian service become duty. Remember the loving, servant-hearted king that you're serving. Be encouraged by the reminder of our king as being the one who serves. And until the day when we all see his glory, his power, rightly used as the true servant king, we serve him out of love humbly as we follow our gentle king, our humble king, our servant king, Jesus. Because it's love for him that really is the death of all duty. So we can serve him joyfully and from the heart for all of our days. Let me close in prayer to those ends. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the really quite striking contrast uh, between our three kings that we've uh, considered uh, today. Uh, We thank you for just how much uh, Jesus' example of servant-hearted leadership has really um, changed and influenced our world we pray uh, too, Lord, that we don't just admire it and give thanks for it, but uh, that would really uh, fire our passion uh, to share the good news of, this Jesus, uh, of uh, Jesus the King who came and laid down his life for us to serve us and to offer us eternal life and a place in your family forever. So as we come out of this winter and uh, spring is upon us and we head towards a new summer and uh, a new Christmas... Please give us great passion and heart to share this great news with our neighbours uh, and our friends and our colleagues and may we live in uh, such a way, uh, increasingly under fire from our world, that is confident in your sovereignty, that you conduct um, uh, the, uh, the ways of this world uh, exactly as you mean to and that we might live in such a way that just brings great glory and honour to you and gives us... Uh, just that relational capital uh, to use uh, for sharing about uh, who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and the glorious uh, future that he promises all those who would come to him. It's his, in his precious and very powerful name we pray. Amen.